Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring Tales to Terrify and the all-new far-fetched fables everyone has a story in the district of wonders come and find yours This is the Starship Sofa, everybody. Welcome, hello, and welcome to show 465. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. Getting right into that Christmas feeling now. This will probably be the last one until after Christmas. So let me wish you all the very best of festive holiday seasons. Good cheer. I hope wherever you are in the world, you have a fantastic time. And if Christmas is not your thing, I hope you do as well still have a fantastic time over these these few weeks. We certainly will be. I certainly will be. <laughs> well, actually, five nights over Christmas. I start on the day before Christmas Eve and five days, night shifts. Man, but we where we work it, it's and it's much better to be quite honest. Every year we either have the New Year or the Christmas off. So this year I'm working the new the, the Christmas, and I'll have the New Year off. Next year I'll have the Christmas off. So it's you know it's all right. It's it swings and roundabouts. Before further ado, I will tell you what is coming in today's show. We have one story, and it is by Neddy Okorafor, and it is called Spider the Artist. It was originally published in John Joseph Adams' Robot Uprisings. A fantastic, will you get that? But we'll get back to that. Let me just say, did anybody go? Because you remember last week I was excited as a little puppy to go and see Rogue One, the Star Wars film? Well... It didn't turn out exactly how we planned. We did, I don't know if did I mention this, we had I'd bought tickets, oh, God, a month and a half, two months ago or something. As soon as it came on sale, I bought the tickets there for the full family to go. And didn't the sun, two days before 
we, you know, I, no, a day before, just came down with the most hideous cold. You know, it wasn't, you could tell he just wasn't faking this one at all. He stayed in bed right over. You know, he couldn't get out, dark and room and everything. So it was just me and my daughter went to the very first screening of it. Yeah, but the very first, it does sound like I've been a couple of times. And, you know, eventually Reed got himself back together and we went about three days later after that to, to see it. And it was just, man, it just, it's hard to, you know, like you say, I'm looking, honestly, and I know I am, I'm looking through rose tinted, you know, heavily tinted glasses there. It's just, it's part of my childhood, you know, the, the, the kind of Star Wars thing. So to go back to this world and now to keep coming back, and it's it's the, the the beauty for me is, and especially with Rogue One, and I would put Rogue One possibly better than a Force, you know, Force Awakens. And I tell you why. For me, it was all these new characters, which were just bit players in the whole Star Wars ethos. But the film just made it, you know, brutal. Don't get us wrong, you know, a brutal, dark, but some fantastic imagery, some fantastic, you know, actors there pushing out, you know, some amazing work. And it's just believable. Do you know what I mean? And I mentioned on Twitter as well, I know Star Wars has got this like little, and I think Amy gets a little bit riled when people see this. You know, it's like you class it as fantasy or, you know, it's got some, you know, very fantasy tropes there. But for me... Rogue One, it just felt, you know, good old science fiction. Do you know what I mean? There was no kind of trips or anything of the, of the fantasy side of it. It was all just, for me, a good science fiction film. And it just hit the mark. And obviously, I'm not going to tell anything about it. But where it ended just was an emotional roller coaster. Do you know what I mean? Just brought so much back. And just, for me, it was like pivotal. Do you know what I mean? Just, oh. That's it, that's where, oh, and it was like that, honestly. And even second time around, it was the same, do you know, the hairs on the back of your neck, and I was nudging Reed and everything, so you can tell I thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it, and it's funny, I've just, I know I'm, we'll get our, yes, we'll, I'll get an Eddie, I've just watched the... Ghostbusters, you know, the, the, the new one that came out in 2016, I think it was July, was it, 2016? I've just seen that, and just, man, it was like, you know, I, and I love that world as well, I love that kind of, you know, delving into that, but it was just like they had all these bits filmed, you know, and they had to use them all up. And there were some scenes that just like, why have you put that in? Yeah, you know, it's a little funny scene, but dumb it you know it just great again great actors in there and you know that had the potential it just had the potential to be you know brilliant but it's just the way it was like you know it was glued together like i would glue an airfix airplane together do you know what i mean fingerprints all over it and it was just like certain scenes i was thinking this is just like it's stopping the floor do you know what i mean even like basic 101 it's stopping the floor, man. Yes, it looked good. You know, there was a little scene in there where they were, they'd been told by the, I think it was the, the mayor of New York or mayor of wherever, you know, they weren't to do anything. And the next scene, they, they flicked these, trying these little fancy guns, and it was just like, eh? It, 
pointless, pointless. You know what I mean? Great little scene, but it didn't need to be in the film. And there was loads of that. Do you know what I mean? And it's just sometimes it was like, oh, man, get a move on. Anyway, the good and the bad, I'll be the ugly. <laughs> Should we get it our main story? I've got another story to tell you. I'll tell you at the end what I've been up to today. And by, bear in mind, it is nine o'clock and I've been up for ages. I'll tell you all about it. But we have... Like I say, the main fiction is Spider the Artist by Nettie Okorafor. And I'm chuffed a bit, you know, hats, big hug to Jeremy, big Christmas hug to Jeremy to, to get Nettie on the show. Do you know what I mean? I'm chuffed a bit. Nettie's one of his writers. And I think it was Lagoon I read. And it was just like, oh, man. And it's just rich writing, just evokes everything and brings you, you know, the, the story just brings you right into the, the narrative. Just fantastic. I'll give you a little heads up about Nettie. Nettie Okorafor's books include Lagoon, Who Fears Death, Kabu Kabu, Anna the Witch, Zahar, The Windseeker and The Shadow Speaker. Her ad- adult novel. The Book of Phoenix was released in May 2015. The New York Times called it a triumph. Her novella, Bindi, was released in late September 2015 and her young adult novel, Aka Witch 2, Breaking Koala, will be released in 2016. Nettie holds a PhD in literature, creative writing and is associate professor at the University of Buffalo, New York. She splits the time between Buffalo and Chicago with her daughter and family. Learn more about Nettie at Nettie.com. When you can get your just name like that in .com. Oh, fantastic. The story is narrated by Aminta Babra, who is a budding writer and aspiring on-air personality. As GSE, she believes strongly in active citizenship and service to humanity. She loves reading and has a weird pennant for collecting hardcover notebooks. When she's not writing or trying to be superhuman, she's either looking for exes to solve, seeing movies, or getting a heart broken by Arsenal Football Club. Listen, you listen. Newcastle United here, mind you. <laughs> she blogs at, and I'll put a link on to Armat's blog page as well there. Thank you so much. And listen to the story. Do you know what I mean? Narrate that and story just go together. Gee, Man, you're just like left in this, you know, just in this kind of world, rich world. There's a couple of little explosives on on the narration as well, you know, like P's and B's popping. If we just had a, a, a filter, but it would have been just amazing. But it is, do you know what I mean? But have a listen to it because it's just perfect. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present. Spider the Artist by Nidhi Okorafor. Zombie no go go unless you tell him to go, zombie. Zombie no go stop unless you tell him to stop. Zombie no go turn unless you tell him to turn, zombie. Zombie no go think unless you tell him to think. From Zombie by Felakuti, Nigerian musician and self-proclaimed voice of the voiceless. My husband used to beat me. That was how I ended up out there that evening behind our house, just past the bushes, through the tall grass in front of the pipelines. Our small house was the last in the village, practically in the forest itself, so nobody ever saw or heard him beating me. 
Going out there was the best way to put space between me and him without sending him into further rage. When I went behind the house, he knew where I was and he knew I was alone. But he was too full of himself to realize I was thinking about killing myself. My husband was a drunk, like too many of the members of the Niger Delta People's Movement. It was how they all control their anger and feelings of helplessness. The fish, shrimps, and crayfish in the creeks were dying. Drinking the water shriveled women's wombs and eventually made men urinate blood. There was a stream where I had been fetching water. A flow station was built nearby and now the stream was rank and filthy with an oily film that reflected rainbows. Cassava and young farms yielded less and less each year. The air left your skin dirty and smelled like something preparing to die. In some places, it was always daytime because of the noisy gas flares. My village was shit. On top of all this, People's Movement members were getting picked off like flies. The kill and go had grown bold. They shot People's Movement members in the streets. They ran them over, dragged them into swamps. You never saw them again. I tried to give my husband some happiness, but after three years, my body continued to refuse him children. It's easy to see the root of his frustration and sadness, but pain is pain, and he dealt it to me regularly. My greatest, my only true possession was my father's guitar. It was made of fine polished abura timber, and it had a lovely tortoise shell pick guard. Excellent handwork. My father said that the timber used to create the guitar came from one of the last timber trees in the delta. If you held it to your nose, you could believe this. The guitar was decades old and still smelled like fresh cut wood, like it wanted to tell you its story because only it's cold. I wouldn't exist without my father's guitar. When he was a young man, he used to sit in front of the compound in the evening and play for everyone. People danced, clapped, shut their eyes and listened. Cell phones would ring and people would ignore them. One day, it was my mother who stopped to listen. I used to stare at my father's fast, long-fingered hands when he played. Oh for harmonies. He could weave anything with his music. Rainbows, sunrises, spider webs sparkling with morning dew. My older brothers weren't interested in learning how to play, but I was, so my father taught me everything he knew. And now it was my long fingers that graced the strings. I had always been able to hear music, and my fingers moved even faster than my father's. I was good, really good. But I married that stupid man, Andrew. So I only played behind the house, away from him. My guitar was my escape. That fateful evening, I was sitting on the ground in front of the fuel pipeline. It ran right through everyone's backyard. 
My village was an oil village, as was the village where I grew up. My mother lived in a similar village before she was married, as did her mother. We are pipeline people. My mother's grandmother was known for lying on the pipeline running through her village. She would stay like that for hours, listening and wondering what magical fluids were running through the large, never-ending steel tubes. This was before the zombies, of course. I laughed. If she tried to lie on a pipeline now, she'd be brutally killed. Anyway, when I was feeling especially blue, I'll take my guitar and come out here and sit right in front of the pipeline. I knew I was flirting with death by being so close, but when I was like this, I didn't really care. I actually welcomed the possibility of being done with life. It was a wonder that my husband didn't smash my guitar during one of his drunken rages. I would surely have quickly thrown myself on a pipeline if he did. Maybe if I was why he would rather smash my nose than my guitar. This day, he had only slapped me hard across the face. I had no idea why. He had simply come in, seen me in the kitchen, and smack. Maybe he had had a bad day at work. He worked very hard at a local restaurant. Maybe one of his women had scorned him. Maybe I did something wrong. I didn't know. I didn't care. My nose was just starting to stop bleeding and I was not seeing so many stars. My feet were only inches from the pipeline. I was especially daring this night. It was warmer and more humid than normal. Or maybe it was just my stinging, burning face. The mosquitoes didn't even bother me much. In the distance, I could see Neka, a woman who rarely spoke to me, giving her small sons a bath in a large tub. Some men were playing cards at the table several houses down. It was dark. There were small, small trees and bushes here, and even our closest neighbor was not very close, so I was hidden. I sighed and placed my hands on the guitar strings. I plucked out a tune my father used to play. I sighed and closed my eyes. I would always miss my father. I sighed and placed my hands on the guitar strings. I plucked out a tune my father used to play. The feel of the strings vibrating under my fingers were exquisite. I fell deep into the zone of my music, weaving it, then floating on a glorious sunset that lit the palm tree tops and... Click. I froze. My hand still on the strings, the vibration dying. I didn't dare move. I kept my eyes closed. The side of my face throbbed. Click. This time, the sound was closer. Click. Closer. Click. Closer. My heart pounded and I felt nauseous with fear. Despite my risk taking, I knew this was not the way I wanted to die. Who would want to be torn limb from limb by zombies? As everyone in my village did multiple times a day, I quietly cursed the Nigerian government. Swing. 
The vibration of the guitar string was stifled by my middle finger still pressing it down. My hands started to shake, but still I kept my eyes shut. Something sharp and cool lifted my finger. I wanted to scream. The string was plucked again. It swung. The sound was deeper and fuller, my finger no longer muffling the vibration. Very slowly, I opened my eyes. My heart skipped. The thing stood about three feet tall, which meant I was eye to eye with it. I had never seen one up close. Few people have. These things are always running up and down the pipeline like a herd of super fast steer, always with things to do. I chanced a better look. It really did have eight legs. Even in the darkness, those legs shined, catching even the dimmest light. A bit more light and I would have been able to see my face perfectly reflected back at me. I had heard that they polished and maintained themselves. A bit more light and I would have been able to see my face perfectly reflected back at me. I had heard that they polished and maintained themselves. This made even more sense now, for who will have time to keep them looking so immaculate? The government came up with the idea to create the zombies, and Shell, Chevron, and a few other oil companies, who were just as desperate, supplied the money to pay for it all. The zombies were made to combat pipeline bunkering and terrorism. It makes me laugh. The government and the oil people destroyed our land and dug up our oil, then created robots to keep us from taking it back. They were originally called Anansi Droids 419, but we called them Oyibuko Traption, and most often Zombie, the same name we call those kill-and-go soldiers who come in here harassing us every time something bites their brains. It's said that zombies can think. Artificial intelligence, this is called. I've had some schooling, a year or two of university, but my area was not in the sciences. No matter my education, as soon as I got married and brought to this damned place, I became like every other woman here. A simple village woman living in the Delta region where zombies kill anyone who touches the pipelines and whose husband knocks her around every so often. What did I know about zombie intellect? It looked like a giant, shiny metal spider. It moved like one too, all smooth shifting joints and legs. It crept closer and leaned in to inspect my guitar strings some more. As it did so, two of its back legs tapped on the metal of the pipeline. Click, click, click. It pushed my thumb back down on the strings and plucked the string twice, making a muted pluck. It looked at me with its many blue shining round eyes. Up close I could see there weren't lights. There were balls of a glowing metallic blue undulating liquid, like charged mercury. I stared into them, fascinated. No one else in my village could possibly know this fact. No one had gotten close enough. Eyes of glowing, bright blue liquid metal, I thought. Now what? It pressed my hand harder and I gasped. 
blinking and looking away from his hypnotic eyes. Then I understood. You, you want me to play? I sat there waiting, placing the leg on the body of my guitar with a soft tap. It had been a long time since anyone had wanted me to play for him. I sat there waiting, placing a leg on the body of my guitar with a soft tap. I played my favorite high life song, Love They See Road by Oliver de Kock. I played like my life depended on it. The zombie didn't move. Its leg remained pressed to my guitar. Was it listening? I was sure it was. Twenty minutes later, when I stopped finally playing, sweat running down my face, it touched the tips of my aching hands. Gently. Some of these pipelines carry diesel fuel. Others carry crude oil. Millions of liters of it a day. Nigeria supplies 25% of United States oil, and we get virtually nothing in return. Nothing but death by zombie attack. We can all tell you stories. When the zombies were first released, no one knew about them. All people would hear were rumors about people getting torn apart near pipelines and sightings of giant white spiders in the night. Or, you'd hear about huge pipeline explosions, charred bodies everywhere. But the pipeline where the bodies lay would be perfectly intact. People still bunkered. My husband was one of them. I suspected that he sold the fuel and oil on the black market. He would bring some of the oil home too. You let it sit in the bucket for two days and it will become something like kerosene. I used it for cooking, so I couldn't really complain. But bunkering was a very, very dangerous practice. There were ways of breaking a pipeline open without immediately bringing the wrath of zombies. My husband and his comrades used some sort of powerful laser cutter. They stole them from the hospitals. But they had to be very, very quiet when cutting through the metal. All it took was one bang, one vibration, and the zombies would come running within a minute. Many of my husband's comrades have been killed because of the tap of someone's wedding ring or the tip of the laser cutter and steel. Two years ago, a group of boys had been playing too close to the pipeline. Two of them were wrestling and they fell on it. Within seconds, the zombies came. One boy managed to scramble away, but the other was grabbed by the arm and flung into some bushes. His arm and both of his legs were broken. Government officials said that zombies were programmed to do as little harm as possible, but I didn't believe this. Nalai. They were terrible creatures. To get close to a pipeline was to risk a terrible death, yet the goddamn things ran right through our backyards. But I didn't care. My husband was beating the hell out of me during these months. I don't know why. He had not lost his job. I knew he was seeing other women. We were poor, but we were not starving. 
Maybe it was because I couldn't bear him children. It is my fault, I know, but what can I do? I found myself out in the backyard more and more, and this particular zombie visited me every time. I loved playing for it. It would listen. Its lovely eyes would glow with joy. Could a robot feel joy? I believed intelligent ones like this cold. Many times a day, I would see a crowd of zombies running up and down the pipeline, off to do repairs or policing, whatever they did. If my zombie was amongst them, I couldn't tell. It was about the tenth time it visited me that it did something very, very strange. My husband had come home smelling practically flammable, stinking of several kinds of alcohol, beer, palm wine, perfume. I had been thinking hard all day about my life. I was stuck. I wanted a baby. I wanted to get out of the house. I wanted a job. I wanted friends. I needed courage. I knew I had courage. I had faced a zombie many times. I was going to ask my husband about teaching at the elementary school. I had heard that they were looking for teachers. When he walked in, he greeted me with a sloppy hug and kiss and then plopped himself on the couch. He turned on the television. It was late, but I brought him his dinner. Pepper soup heavy with good meat, chicken, and large shrimp. He was in a good, drunken mood. But as I stood there watching him eat, all my courage fled. All my need for change skittered and cowered to the back of my brain. Do you want anything else? I asked. He looked up at me and actually smiled. The soup is good today. I smiled, but something inside me ducked its head lower. I'm glad, I said. I picked up my guitar. I'm going to the back. It's nice outside. Don't go too close to the pipeline, he said. But he was looking at the TV and gnawing on a large piece of goat meat. I crept into the darkness, through the bushes and grasses to the pipeline. I sat in my usual spot, a foot from it. I strummed softly a series of chords, a fallen tune that spoke my heart. Where else was there to go from here? Was this my life? I sighed. I hadn't been to church in a month. When it came clicking down the pipe, my heart lifted. Its blue liquid eyes glued strong tonight. There was a woman from whom I once bought a boat of blue cloth. The cloth was a rich blue that reminded me of the open water and sunny days. The woman said the cloth was azure. My zombie's eyes were deep azure this night. It stopped standing before me, waiting. I knew it was my zombie because a month ago it had allowed me to put a blue butterfly sticker on its front legs. 
Good evening, I said. It didn't move. I'm sad today, I said. It stepped off the pipeline, its metal legs clicking on the metal and then whispering on the dirt and grass. It sat its body on the ground as it always did. Then it waited. I strummed a few chords and then played its favorite song, Bob Marley's No Woman No Cry. As I played, its body slowly began to rotate. Something I had come to understand was its way of expressing pleasure. I smiled. When I stopped playing, he turned his eyes back to me. I sighed, strummed an A minor chord and sat back. My life is shit, I said. Suddenly, it rose up on its eight legs with a surf to wear. It stretched and straightened its leg until it was standing a foot taller than normal. From under its body in the center, something whitish and metallic began to descend. I gasped, grabbing my guitar. My mind told me to move away. Move away fast. I had befriended this artificial creature. I knew it. Or I thought I knew it. But what did I really know about why it did what it did? Or why it came to me? The metallic substance descended faster, pulling in the grass beneath it. I squinted. The stuff was wire. Right before my eyes, I watched the zombie take this wire and do something with five of its legs while it supported itself on the other three. The legs scrambled around, working and weaving the shiny wire this way and that. They moved too fast for me to see exactly what they were creating. Grass flew and the soft whirring sound grew slightly louder. Then the legs stopped. Then the legs stopped. For a moment, all I could hear was the sound of crickets and frogs singing, the breeze blowing in the palm and mangrove treetops. I could smell the sizzling oil of someone frying plantain or yam nearby. My eyes focused on what the zombie had done. I grinned. I grinned and I grinned. What is that? I whispered. It held it up with two of its front legs and tapped its back leg twice on the ground, as it always seemed to when it was trying to make a point, a point that I usually didn't understand. It brought three legs forward and commenced to pluck out what first was a medley of my favorite songs, from Bob Marley to Sunny Ade to Carlos Santana. Then, its music deepened to something so complex and beautiful that I was reduced to tears of joy or an ecstasy. People must have heard the music. Maybe they looked out their windows or opened their doors. But we were hidden by the darkness, the grass, the trees. I cried and cried. I don't know why, but I cried. I wonder if he was pleased by my reaction. I think it was. I spent the next hour learning to play its tune. Ten days later, a group of zombies attacked some oil workers and soldiers deep in the delta. Ten of the men were torn limb from limb.
their bloody remains scattered all over the swampy land. Those who escaped told reporters that nothing would stop the zombies. A soldier had even thrown a grenade at one, but the thing protected itself with the very force field it had been built to use during pipeline explosions. The soldier said the force field looked like a crackling bubble made of lightning. Wahala! Trouble, the soldier frantically told television reporters. His face was greasy with sweat and the sides of his eyes were twitching. Evil, evil things. I have believed this from the start. Look at me with grenade. Yeah, yeah. I could do nothing. The pipeline the men had barely even started was found fully assembled. Zombies are made to make repairs, not fully assemble things. It was bizarre. Newspaper write-ups said that the zombies were getting too smart for their own good. That they were rebelling. Something had certainly changed. Maybe it's only a matter of time before the damn thing kill us all, my husband said, a beer in hand as he read about the incident in the newspaper. I considered never going near my zombie again. They were unpredictable and possibly out of control. It was midnight and I was out there again. My husband hadn't laid a heavy hand on me in weeks. I think he sensed the change in me. I had changed. He now heard me play more, even in the house. In the mornings, after cooking his dinners, in the bedroom when his friends were over, and he was hearing songs that I knew gave him a most glorious feeling. As if each chord, each sound were examined by scientists and handpicked to provoke the strongest feeling of happiness. My zombie had solved my marital problems, at least the worst of them. My husband could not beat me when there was beautiful music sending his senses to lush, sweet places. I began to hope, to hope for a baby. Hope that I would one day leave my house and wifely duties for a job as a music teacher at the elementary school. Hope that my village would one day rip from the oil being ripped from it. And I dreamt about being embraced by deep blue liquid metal, webs of wire and music. I'd woken up that night from one of these strange dreams. I opened my eyes, a smile on my face. Good things were certainly coming. My husband was sleeping soundly beside me. In the dim moonlight, he looked so peaceful. His skin no longer smelled of alcohol. I leaned forward and kissed his lips. He didn't wake. I slipped out of bed and put on some pants and a long sleeve shirt. The mosquitoes will be out tonight. I grabbed my guitar. I had named my zombie Odideo Kwanka. In my language, it means spider the artist. According to legend, Udideo Kwanka is a supreme artist, and she lives underground where she takes fragments of things and changes them into something else. She can even weave spirits from straw. It was a good name for my zombie. I wondered what Udide had named me. 
I was sure he had named me something, though I doubted that he told the others about me. I don't think it would have been allowed to keep seeing me. Odide was waiting for me there as if it sensed that I would come out this night. I grinned, my heart feeling so warm. I sat down as it left the pipeline and crept up to me. It carried its instrument on top of its head, a sort of complex star made of wire. Over the weeks, it had added more wire lines, some thin and some thick. I often wondered where he put this thing when it was running about with the others, for the instrument was too big to hide on its body. Or did he held it before its eyes? With a front leg, it plucked out this sweet, simple tune that almost made me weep with joy. It conjured up images of my mother and father when they were so young and full of hope, when my brothers and I were too young to marry and move away. Before the kill and go had driven my oldest brother away to America and my middle brother to the north, where there was so much potential. I laughed and wiped away a tear and started strumming some chords to support the tune. From there, we took off into something so intricate, enveloping, intertwining, chai. I felt as if I was communing with God. Ah, uh, ah, uh, this machine and me. You can't imagine. Eme, our music instantly fell apart. Eme, my husband called again. I froze. Staring at Udide, who was also motionless. Please, I whispered to it. Don't hurt him. Samuel messaged me, my husband said, his eyes still on the cell phone, as he stepped up to me through the tall grass. There's a brick in the pipeline near the school. Not a goddamn zombie in sight yet. Throw down that guitar, woman. Let's go and get... He looked up. A terrified look took hold of his face. For a very long time, it seemed we were all frozen in time. My husband, standing just at the last of the tall grass, Odide, standing in front of the pipeline, instrument held up like a ceremonial shield, and me, between the two of them, too afraid to move. I turned to my husband. Andrew, I said with the greatest of care, let me explain. He slowly dragged his gaze to me and gave me a look, as if he was seeing me for the first time. My own wife, he whispered. I... Did he raise his two front legs? For a moment, it looked almost like he was pleading with me, or maybe offering me a hug. Then he clicked his legs together so hard that it produced a large red spark and an ear-splitting ting. My husband and I clapped our hands over our ears. The air instantly smelled like freshly lit matches. Even through the palms of my hands, I could hear the responses from down the pipeline. The clicking was so numerous that it sounded like a rain of tiny pebbles falling on the pipeline. Udide shuddered, scrambled back and stood on it, waiting. They came in a great mob, about twenty of them. 
The first thing that I noticed was their eyes. They were all a deep, angry red. The others scrambled around Rudidi, tapping their feet in complex rhythms on the pipe. I couldn't see Rudidi's eyes. Then they all ran off with amazing speed to the east. I turned to my husband. He was gone. Word spread like a disease because almost everyone had a cell phone. Soon, everyone was clicking away on them, messaging things like pipeline burst near school, no zombies in sight, and hurry to school, bring buckets. My husband never let me have my own cell phone. We couldn't afford one and he didn't think I needed one. But I knew where the elementary school was. People now believe that the zombies had all gone rogue, shrugging off their man-given jobs to live in the Delta swamps and do whatever it was they did there. Normally, if bronchers broke open a pipeline, even for the quietest of jobs, the zombies would be aware of it within an hour and repair the thing within another hour. But two hours later, this broken pipe continued to splash fuel. That was when someone had decided to put the word out. I knew better. The zombies weren't zombies at all. They were thinking creatures. Smart beasts. They had a method to their madness and most of them did not like human beings. The chaos was lit by the headlights of several cars and trucks. The pipeline here was raised as it travelled south. Someone had taken advantage of this and removed the whole section of piping. Pink diesel fuel poured out of both ends like a giant fountain. People crowded beneath the flue like parched elephants, filling jerry cans, bottles, bowls, buckets. One man even held a garbage bag until the fuel ate through the bag, splashing fuel all over the man's chest and legs. The spillage collected into a large dark pink pool that swiftly flew towards the elementary school, gathering on the playground. The fumes hit me even before I got within sight of the school. My eyes watered and my nose started running. I held my shirt over my nose and mouth. This barely helped. People came in cars, motorcycles, buses, on foot. Everyone was messaging on their cell phones, further spreading the word. It had been a while since people who did not make a career out of fuel theft had gotten a sip of free fuel. There were children everywhere. They ran up and down, sent on errands by their parents or just hanging around to be a part of the excitement. They had probably never seen people able to go near a pipeline without getting killed. Hip-hop and high life blasted from cars and SUVs with enhanced sound systems. The buzzline vibrations were almost as stifling as the fumes. I had not a doubt that the zombies knew this was going on. I spotted my husband. He was heading towards the fountain of fuel with a large red bucket. Five men started arguing amongst each other, two of them pushing and shoving, almost falling into the fountain. Andrew, I called over all the noise. He turned. 
When he saw me, he narrowed his eyes. Please, I said, I'm, I'm sorry. He spat and started walking away. You have to get out of here, I said. They will come. He whirled around and strode up to me. How the hell are you so sure? Did you bring them yourself? As if in response, people started screaming and running. I cursed. The zombies were coming from the street, forcing people to run toward the pool of fuel. I cursed again. My husband was glaring at me. He pointed into my face with a look of disgust. I couldn't hear what he said over all the noise. He turned and ran off. I tried to spot Didi amongst the zombies. All of their eyes were still red. Was Didi even amongst them? I stared at their legs, searching for the butterfly sticker. There it was, closest to me to the left. Udide, I called. As the name came out of my mouth, I saw two of the zombies in the center, each raised two front legs. My smile went to an O of shock. I dropped to the ground and threw my hands over my head. People were still splashing across the pool of fuel, trying to get into the school. Their cars continued blasting hip-hop and high life, the headlights still on, lighting the madness. The two zombies clicked their legs together, producing two large sparks. Ting. Whoosh. I remember light, heat, the smell of burning hair and flesh and screams that melted to guttural goggles. The noise was muffled. The stench was awful. My head to my lap, I remained in this hellish limbo for a long, long time. I'll never teach music at the elementary school. It was incinerated along with many of the children who went to it. My husband was killed too. He died thinking I was some sort of spy fraternizing with the enemy or something like that. Everyone died except me. Just before the explosion happened, Uride ran to me. It protected me with its force field. So I lived. And so did the baby inside me. The baby that my body allowed to happen because of Udide's lovely, soothing music. Udide tells me it's a girl. How can a robot know this? Udide and I play for her every day. I can only imagine how content she is. But what kind of world would I be bringing her into? Where only her mother and Udide stand between a flat-out war between the zombies and the humans who created them? Pray that Udide and I can convince man and Dre to call a truce. Otherwise, the Delta will keep rolling in blood, metal and flames. Do you know what else? You should also pray that these zombies don't build themselves some fins and travel across the ocean.
There you go. Don't forget, copyright is Neddy's. Neddy, thank you so much. Oh, we've got to get more Neddy on the show, man. That is just fantastic. Neddy, thank you so much. And I'm in that. Oh, man, yes, come back on, please, please. I'll get you, I'll get you a pop filter. <laughs> Sorry about that. If there was, you know, you can see, like, just... And I haven't actually got one on there, but I'm turning away from the mic. Do you know what I mean? Just, but just, oh, I evoke so much. Thank you so much. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. So I hope you enjoyed that little that little story there. Like I say, with Neddy's, Neddy's work there, rich and captivating, to be quite honest, just takes you in. That's all you want. In, in a way, you do want Neddy to be there with you. You know what I mean? You just want Neddy to kind of guide you. And it's just lovely, lovely writing, to be quite honest. Not often I kind of... Get the hairs on the back of my neck, but just fantastic. So that's the story. What I was going to mention as well is at the beginning of the show is, it is, you know, it's, what's it now? It's about half past nine there now. Fast asleep in bed this morning. You know, this is the kind of morning we've had there. Dog runs in, jumps on the bed, throws up on the bed. This is the dog as well. You know, it was like six o'clock something in the morning. God, what? God, just this. I bet everyone's now having a cup of tea thinking, oh, torn, man, torn. But uh, this is the one as well. Just yesterday, I had to go to the puppy parlour because he rolled in boxes. Yes. So, and it's Douglas. Yes, our new pup. And he's actually, he's getting to some height as well there now. So he's not like a puppy no more. You know, he's kind of nearly up to my waist. Or past me knees, anyways, you know what I mean? And Douglas named after Douglas Adams. But he's he's in the, he's been in the bad books, you know what I mean? So strip the bed, that's all done. You know, I've got to get the show done. I've got to go to work this afternoon. <gasps> right. Listen, honestly, wherever you are in the world, have a, a fantastic, you know, Christmas. Have a fantastic holidays. If you if you don't, if Christmas is not your thing, you know what I mean? I'm, we're thinking about you. Love you loads. You know, thank you so much for, you know, sticking with Starship Sofa, sticking with, you know, the District of Wonders. Lots of big things coming on 
next year as well. You know what I mean? Hopefully, you know what I mean? If you kind of stick around, we're going to actually do some novel narrations as well, where we take novels. The Golden Age of ScienceFiction.com. That might be a new show of mine. And give you a little tease here. TrulyBadThings.com. Novel horror novels coming as well. 2017. 2016, maybe not that, that good of a year, but, you know, hopefully we can kind of raise raise our, you know, glasses and that and jump into 2017. I will see you next week, though. Getting all emotional here. You know, have a fab time over Christmas. You know what I mean? My heart goes out here. Thank you for sticking with Starship Sova, Tears of Terrify and Farfetch Fables. Until next week, just like to say, good night from me. survive this terrible ordeal? Can they win through with their integrity unscathed? Can they escape without completely compromising their honor and artistic judgment? Tune in next week for the next exciting installment of This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening.